the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 32. We've been spending time going through the book of Acts, looking at the, the history of the church as it began and as it began to flourish and as persecution broke out. And we've been talking the last few weeks about uh, a man by the name of Saul or Paul as he's come onto the scene as, as a persecutor of the church and now as a Christian. But we can't forget that there are other apostles and other things happening in the church back in Jerusalem and in some of the other cities around that area uh, of Israel. And so this passage kind of says, oh, by the way, back here we have Peter. And so we'll look at little things going on in Peter's life today. So let's, let's look there at Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. And I was going to read uh, the rest of that chapter here. It says, Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and, and, and Sharon saw him and, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translates in Greek, uh, is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose, and he went with him. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows, they stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out. He knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and he raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. All right. <clears throat> I want to share with you a few actual sentences that have been written on some patients' hospital charts. Right. See if you catch what, uh, what is said here. The first one is this. Matthew, you have it? Patient has chest pain if he lies if she lies on her side left side for over a year. I'd have chest pains too if you laid me on my left side for over a year. All right. Number two, when she fainted, her eyes rolled around the room. Okay, okay, you're you're catching on, aren't you? Here's another one. Number three, patient has two teenage children, but no other abnormalities. <laughs> ah, that is, that's a good one. All right. Remember that one, all right. Number four, this is after knee surgery. 
On the second day, the knee was better. And on the third day, it disappeared. (laughs) All right. Here we go. (laughs) Number five, she is numb from her toes down. (laughs) I don't know what, what further down you can go. All right, here we go. Number six, patient suffers from occasional, constant, infrequent headaches. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I think I have one. No, it was just pain. No, I do not. Occasional, constant, frequent. All right, here we go. Number seven, patient was alert and unresponsive. <laughs> All right, number eight. The patient was to have a bowel resection. However, he took a job at a stockbroker instead. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Number nine. <laughs> the patient refused autopsy. <laughs> please, please don't cut me open. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And number 10 is this, discharge status, alive, but without my permission. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, you can you, and I, and I sometimes, and I know, and Amy, you're great at it, and my wife is really good at it. Sometimes I will say things, maybe they're not in my message notes, and, and it, it's wrong, you know, and, it, and it's, it's humorous, and I can tell immediately when I've done something wrong because my wife is usually back there chuckling or shaking her head. Amy's usually up here just kind of grinning and, yeah, okay. And I, and I get it. So, I, you know, and some of you will catch those things, but can you imagine writing these things down on a hospital chart? All right. And, well, yeah, and the doctor's supposed to be smart, right? Uh-huh. Well, they normally are. I mean, but those are, really, those are humorous mistakes, and anybody can make a humorous mistake. And, and it goes to show that even doctors and nurses are humans too. They're, they're not perfect, even though they do their best to be perfect when they're working with you. They make mistakes on hospital charts, and they make mistakes occasionally when, when things are more serious. Everything from sometimes ordering the wrong prescription or dispensing the wrong medication to making the wrong diagnosis to operating and removing the wrong leg. Sometimes they make mistakes. My dad was going in for surgery in Barnes Hospital in St. Louis, and you heard Barnes is a good hospital. He was going on for an investigation in his esophagus to see if there's cancer in there. And instead, the guy was getting ready to drag him out of the room and take him off to have his gallbladder removed. And <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> You're not taking me anywhere until I see my doctor. It's up here. It's not down here. Oh, well, your name is John Wagner, right? Well, yeah. Well, it's gallbladder removal. No, wrong John Wagner. <laughs> so <laughs> he almost lost his gallbladder. All right, yeah, they're mistakes. Mistakes can happen. And it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And it only proves that doctors and nurses, are, they aren't gods. I mean, they don't know everything. They can't do everything. They're not infallible either. And as much as we want to heal everybody that walks through the hospital doors or into the doctor's office, sometimes it just doesn't happen. We don't have the answers. We don't have the technology. We don't have the skill. We don't have the means. We don't have, what in the world do you have anyway? We just don't know. And we do our best, but not everyone is going to be 
healed. Now, things were a little different in the days of Peter. I mean, that's what this, this story is telling us. Peter does not wear the title doctor. He wears the title servant apostle. And yet, when he enters into town, somehow things change when he encounters people who are sick, who are bedridden, and apparently who are dead. And it's catching people's attention, and it's, and it's amazing of what's going on. But, but we've got this story here that takes place. Now, now there, there were no mistakes, there were no human errors, and whenever Peter came to town, there always appears to be some kind of healing. In Acts chapter 3, we went over this months ago. It says there, verses 1 through 8, a Peter and John, they were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame for, from his mother's womb was being carried along and whom they had used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order for him to beg alms for those who were entering the temple. Now, when Peter saw him, he says, and John about to, when, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. He's wanting money. Hey, you got any money? Got any money? But Peter, along with John, they fixed their gaze on him. They said, look at us. They began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I, I do not possess silver or gold. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright, he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, now we see that took place back there in Acts chapter 3. This is not too long after Jesus has ascended. Peter's preached his wonderful sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people have surrendered their lives to Jesus, were baptized that day. And he continues to go to the temple at the ninth hour in the afternoon to pray. And he meets this man and he, he says, I don't have any money to give you. But in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, walk. And that guy got them in trouble. Because of his walking and his running and his leaping and his praising God. And he caught the attention of the authorities there in the temple. He said, ho, 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 what are you doing? You're supposed to be out there. You've been out there all these years, and now what do you think you're doing? Well, you get healed. Uh, some guy out there. I don't know. He's, and they, you know, this is a Saturday. You shouldn't be doing these things. They confronted Peter and John, brought him in, took him to questioning before the Sanhedrin, and arrested them, and said, "You can't do this." Well, judge for yourselves whether it's right to obey man or God. Well, we can't stop doing the things that we've, been, we've seen and we've heard. And then you look over again in, in chapter 5, and we have another story of Peter and this, this miraculous thing that's going on. Listen to what it says there in chapter 5, and, and it's the healing that is within him. It says, to such an extent that the people, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Did you catch that? 
In chapter 5, it's, he doesn't even have to touch them. He doesn't even have to communicate with them. All he has to do is walk by and his shadow falls on them. And they're healed. That's a different type of medicine that has never been seen before. That's a different type of healing. And they're just, let's get him out to the street because surely he's going to go to the temple again and his shadow will fall on and maybe something will happen. And they're dragging their people and their friends and their family. Even from the other cities, they're bringing them into Jerusalem for the opportunity that as Peter and John and they're walking past, the shadows might actually fall and touch them. Now we know of a story when Jesus was walking with a crowd of people around him and all of a sudden he stops and he says, okay, who touched me? His disciples, what do you mean who touched you? We've got crowds, all everybody's pressing up against us. We don't know who touched What do you mean who touched you? He says, no, somebody took power. And then a woman finally steps forward. She says, it was me. I'd had internal bleeding going on for years and I've been to doctors and I've been everywhere to any kind of healer that could help me, but none of them have been able to help. And, and, and I just thought if I could touch the hem of your garment. And he says, woman, your faith has healed you. You see, there is power in Jesus that is untapped in most the lives of people. And for whatever reason, God has decided that He was going to place that same power that He had gifted to His Son into the lives of men like Peter and John. And so we find ourselves now here in chapter 9, and Peter heals one person and he raises somebody else from the dead. Now that's not a bad day's work. I mean, you think about it. In fact, as a result of this display of God's power in the life and through the life of Peter... We find that in verse 35, and all who lived in Lydda and Sharon, they saw him and they turned to the Lord. They're not putting their faith in Peter, they're putting their faith in Jesus. And, and it says it become known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. They're not believing in Peter, they're believing in Jesus, their Lord. He's telling them, this is not by my power, not by my might, not by anything I can do. This is what Jesus does in and through me. Believe in Him. These miraculous healings are a direct drive of the people to recognize that it is Jesus who they crucified, whom they buried, and who has raised himself back to life and is active in the kingdom that he's established, his church, and in the lives of his disciples. What a change. Wouldn't it be great if there were men like Peter around today? I mean, really, wouldn't it, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be just awesome I mean, I think I would chart out a, a, a walking path throughout the country, making sure he stops by every, you know, remember Forrest Gump, he ran across the country. Could you see Peter running and people just lining up and, and hoping maybe his shadow might fall on them or, or he might stop? And Wouldn't that be just awesome? 
Men who could just pass by and, 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 and bring you healing. And men who would speak a word and, and you would be cured of any disease in your body. And, and men who could visit funeral homes and they could raise the dead back to life. Wow. Now, there are men today who have a claim that they have the abilities to do just that. They call themselves faith healers. And you've seen them. I mean, they've got huge followings. They're on television. They're on radio. They're, they're, you, you see about them. You hear about them. They're, they're out there. They all have enormous revival meetings, and, and, and there will be a whole line of sick people that come in hoping that they might be, be healed on that, and they line them up on stage, and they go through the, their healing process. These, these, they give, these revivalist evangelists, they give a mighty shout to God, and then they reach out and thump somebody on the head, and they fall back, and as they're revived, whatever is gone. To be honest... I'm not really excited about faith healers and being slain in the Spirit. I, I've seen how they conduct their meetings. I've watched, and I'm kind of suspicious about some of their claims. I, I've noticed their approach is dramatically different than Peter and John's approach. Think about it. Peter didn't wait for the sick necessarily to come to him. He went to them. I hear about somebody sick, I go. Right? And then he confronts him. And then that's what we have here in 932-33. Peter was traveling through all those regions, and, and he came to all, all down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and, and, he, and was paralyzed. He's looking for people as a way to draw attention to the gospel message. So he went to the local church. And finding there a man who was a paralytic, he heals him. Uh, there was no need for any audience to observe the things that Peter was doing, his methods. Peter raised Tabitha from the dead there in Acts chapter 9, verse 40, and he, and he tells everybody to leave the room. And he simply, it says, he kneels, and he prays, and then he turns to her and he says, Tabitha, rise up. She opens her eyes and she's back. One person in my studies noted this, that there are 37 different accounts of healings, miracles, miraculous healings that took place in the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the book of Acts. Of those 37, only 10 of those occurred when there was a crowd around. All right? 12 of them occurred when there was just a small group of people. Fifteen of them occurred in a very private setting, like the one in Tabitha's house. They weren't trying to draw crowds, in essence, but because it was done, it wasn't done to necessarily to, to get attention that way, but it was done to get attention to the gospel message and to point out Jesus. A lot different than we see some of the faith healings that are today. They try to draw in thousands of people and, and watch. But in either of these cases here in the book of Acts, are we told that those who were healed 
sought their healing either. This man's been paralyzed eight years. He's just lying in bed. Peter goes in and he finds him. He says, hey, get up. And he does. And Tabitha, <laughs> she's not seeking to be healed because she's dead. I mean, she can't ask for something. Hey, go get Peter. Bring him back so I can be raised back. There's no communication on that end. She probably didn't even seek for him. But it's her friends, because of who she was, that they thought, Peter, we want, we want you to hear. You're in our area. We want to hear you to hear about this woman who's done so much for the church. Her charitable acts. And, and all these widows are saying, look at the dress she made for me. Look at this dress she made for me. And, and showing, you know, she's a wonderful lady. She's doing all these things for the people in the church. And she's, she's loved by them. And they just want him to understand this woman that is now dead. And, and, and who she was to them. And what a precious Christian woman she was. And he says, okay, leave. You don't find in their conversation, Peter, would you bring her back to life? It's just simply, I, I get it, she's a great woman. And, and everything she did for the church and for the people, she's a wonderful, wonderful Christian woman. All right, step outside. And then he prays. You see, you see, he doesn't go through some kind of dramatic shouting and slapping people on the head, slaining them in the spirit. He just simply confronts it. And he allows God to do the work. I realize that the behavior of our modern day faith healer makes for maybe a good show, good theater, good television, whatever you might want to call it. But when I see what men and women are going through in order to get there and the things that take place within those moments, and I see manipulation of lives, I've talked with people in the past who've gone to those places and who have been, quote, healed. And they weren't. Matter of fact, you know, the question is, I would ask, do people get healed of those types of revivals and those types of meetings? Well, maybe they do and maybe they don't. I can't say for certain on all of them. I've heard of stories. My mother used to tell me about a neighbor of hers when she was growing up, and, and the lady had been deaf, and she went to a healing in St. Louis, and she came back and she could hear. And my mom says, and she could hear, because before that, she had no hearing. You could do all kinds of things, and she couldn't hear. But she came back from that meeting hearing. And I've seen other people who went to those things and were told that the cancer is gone. And not too long later, they're dead from cancer. Now, we, we look at these things and we wonder ourselves, can it be real? Is this something unique and something new? I, I want to share with you a story. Back in the 18th century, there was a physician named Franz Anton Mesmer. Franz Anton Mesmer, he first off studied philosophy, then religion, and finally ended up studying medicine and some sciences and things. And he began to look at thinking that there were, there were magnetic things and liquids within the bodies of people that created their problems, and he developed a, a, a system of curing them through magnets. 
It was interesting. I was talking with Doug Doris uh, just a few weeks ago at the Kaimichis. And Doug uh, started the, helped start the Christian prison ministry of Missouri, which has now expanded like crazy. Um, but Doug was talking about magnet soles that he puts in his feet because he has back pain. All of a sudden, now the back pain is gone because of the magnets. He's swearing these magnets are really helping him. And so we understand that there's things with magnets and whatever. And, and, and Mesmer, he caught on to that. Now, in, in the process of this, he, he began to, to draw great crowds of people during this time frame. And he healed many of his audience, but he doesn't mention God. And he doesn't pray. At first, he would have his patients do such things as sit with their feet in in a fountain of magnetized water while holding cables that were attached to magnetized trees. Right? Later, he began to believe that magnetic powers resided in his own body and that he would simply pass his hands over his patients and rub their body and, and there would be healing as a result of that. And we ask ourselves, why? Well, it wasn't because he prayed or he gave credit to God. Most have come to believe that Franz Mesmer hypnotized people into believing that his actions and his voice and his behavior literally literally mesmerized them into possibly even self-healing. So just because healing might take place at these faith healing revivals, it doesn't prove that these men really are from God. Matter of fact, I'd be a lot more convinced if these men actually went into the hospitals and walked around healing people in the rooms. Now, there was one fellow, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, uh, he's one of the best known of these faith healers in our generation. He maintained that he did just that. That in Canada, he went into a hospital. He went through healing people, in a sense, but... As there's been a little bit of an investigation through that, it has been proved that that actually never happened in Canada. Robert Tilton. He had hundreds of people who had begun filing lawsuits against him because of his fraud of the promised miracles that he had asked them and their prosperity, a health and wealth gospel. If they would just send him money and fill out their prayer cards and requests, and he would then pray for them. One woman claimed that Tilton promised her that he would pray for her husband and that he would be healed if she would donate money to his ministry. But her husband, he didn't get healed the way that Tilton had promised. He died. And after he died, she continued to get these donation requests from Tilton asking for more money and more donations. Now, if someone were to ask me, do I believe in faith healers? I think this would probably be my response. I do not believe in faith healers, but I do believe that through faith comes healing. But how can I be sure of that? I mean, I... I have seen people who have been dramatically healed after the elders have gone and anointed them with oil. I, I have seen people who, who the church has prayed for when they are in the position of, of, of they're going to die. And all of a sudden, 
they're living. Monica, you just had a, a sense like that within your family. Stepsister having twins. They say the twins aren't going to survive. At least one's not going to survive. And they're prepared to have an operation to remove the one twin. And not only us as a church, but many other people prayed. Both twins made it through surgery and lived and are living today. We can go on to other stories of people that we know that we have prayed for within this church who should be dead today. But I believe because of faith and because of prayers, they're alive. My own mother, who's battling cancer and some other things, years ago, she was going to go in and have breast surgery to remove because of the cancer that was there. They'd gone through, they discovered it, they've tested it, they've done all kinds, and so she's up prepped for surgery. She's even under anesthesia when they come back in with the new uh, MRIs or whatever, x-rays. And the doctor says, hold it. It's gone. They can't find it. Where is it? They, they stopped the surgery. They sent her out. They apologized to her for putting her under anesthesia, but she has no cancer. It's not in her body. They did more tests. It's not there. There's no, no sign of it. And the doctor says to her, I don't understand that. And she says, prayer, faith. We can go on and on and on today. I believe that through faith comes healing. And it may not be that as Peter will walk into a room and raise somebody back from the dead. Though we know that there are those who are dead that now all of a sudden are alive. Matter of fact, there's a movie right now called Breakthrough. I, I want to see it. It's about a family in St. Louis. A boy fell through the ice in a lake and was classified dead for, I think, 15 minutes or more. And in the hospital, the mother is praying. Joyce Smith and her son John. And she prays that God would give her back her son. And he's alive. Maybe you ought to check out the I don't know if any of you have seen the movie, but I think I, I think I want to see it. But it is a true story. He is dead. The hospital in St. Louis, the doctors have said he's dead. He's had no oxygen to his brain for such a long period of time. There's no movement. There's no no signs of vitals. And yet she's there in that room with him and she's praying that God would give her back her son and he begins to breathe and to live. Faith. And through faith comes healing. And that's what Peter is trying to encourage the people there in Lydda and Sharon and Joppa. Put your faith in Jesus. He's the one who does it. You see, someone put it this way in a prayer. Lord, if it will be to your glory, heal suddenly. If it will glorify you more, heal gradually. If it will glorify you even more, may your servant remain sick a while. 
And if it will glorify your name still more, take him to yourself in heaven. And I think really that's what we need to understand. Through faith comes healing. But sometimes through sickness comes glory to God as well. Whatever we do, it is to point people to a loving Savior who has the mighty power to do all kinds of things. If we believe. Faith is so important. Jesus says if you have faith as minimal as a mustard seed, He can move mountains. Do we believe that God is a God who knows what's best and will work in any and all circumstances to bring glory through it, good or bad, from our perspective? I believe. We're going to have our invitation.